Hi, everybody, and welcome Hi, to episode everyone. five. Hello, yes, five. It's episode, episode five. five. Are you making fun of me? Uh, episode five no. of of Two Gays One Episode. I'm Alex, and I'm Go Jesus. What are we doing today, Michael? We're talking about episode sixteen of Neon Genesis Evangelion, and just sixteen this time. We're actually doing one episode. Oh my god. <laughs> So previously concept... in previous episodes, we were just we were mainly focusing on one episode, but we were talking about uh like two to three episodes per episode. Yes. Yeah. Fill um, in the gaps. And, and and what is this episode, Michael? The I mean, this episode is those who longed for the shadows of others and thus invited them shadowedly. And thus uh, disgraced themselves by yeah. overstepping their bounds and being egotistical. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is the episode that mainly focuses on the angel Liliel and kind of goes into uh, Shinji's ego as well as other characters' ego as they face their inner selves. Okay. Um, and uh, th this episode is famously lower qual quality than the rest of the episodes in the series. Um, like, if you watch the Blu-ray release of this or the Platinum DVDs, it's going to look kind of jank compared to the other ones. Just not as sharp, not as crisp. The colors are crushed or blown out. Like, the blacks are too black, the whites are too white. And this comes out uh, to be the way it is because they actually lost the 16mm film strips Uh that uh were the basis for all the remasters going forward this was based off of a 35 millimeter interpositive which an interpositive is kind of like a negative of a negative uh, sort of i'm just oversimplifying it uh but it's a backup strip essentially that it, it's copied over before the airing of something goes so we're getting basically like vhs quality like tv quality from the the 90s with this one um and uh it it's a really a shame because this episode's gorgeous. Like, I don't know what you think about it, but this is one of the prettier episodes in some ways. I always thought it was weird how blurry Lilia looked in, like, every photo. Yeah, that's because it's based <laughs> off of, like, a really bad print. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, I think this episode looks great uh, I was as we were, we were watching through it recently. Um, and there's just so many nice shots. The, the use of shadow is great and is very thematic. Yeah. Um. But uh, before we get into all that, uh, let's just recap what happened. What? Oh uh, no, 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 no. Through the plot. Uh, yeah. So it, it, in the kind of like plot of this one, um, we have Shinji who is basically told, "Oh yeah, like you're you're number one. You're the best. Uh, your your test scores are great, Shinji. Your sync is great." Uh, and it kind of fuels his ego, and he encounters his angel. Uh, and decides to sort of act impulsively because of, you know, this ego trip and gets captured uh, by the angel, sent into this alternate dark dimension where he talks to the angel uh, and which kind of like um, takes the form of himself and an alternate version of himself that that goes like, Shinji, you're kind of stupid. Uh, and then um, and then Shinji is saved by his mother's soul, which comes out in the Ava, takes control of the Ava, the Ava goes berserk, breaks out of the angel in the prison dimension that he was placed into. Uh, and that's the episode's like kind of plot in a nutshell. Um, but what's really what's really good about the opening of this episode is that we get this fun scene where Shinji is like serving food and Asuka comes in half naked, you know, dressed up in a towel. And she kind of repeat <laughs> the gag from episode three, I think. It's it's um it's episode two. 
but the um it, it's sort of like that but it's not nearly it's not a repeat of the gag it's not like 2.0 or whatever where... it's a callback though it's a callback yeah but asuka bursts in and she accuses masato she's like you're disgusting with your your you're in your new relationship with kaji is fucking filthy your illicit relation i don't know what's but, illicit yeah. about their relationship um she she basically th- this acts as a kind of like natural way to recap what happened in last episode because you have like asuka accusing misato of like you and kaji are together now and it's disgusting and then misato says no we're not we're not in a relationship and then kaji Somebody's goes on the body like, calls jealous so, so you know, Kaji calls on the phone and it's like, "Hey, babe, I'm gonna pick you up, but right? we're going to the bar together." And then, like, yeah, and then this is immediately undermined by where... Kaji on the phone. He was probably yeah, exactly. jumping over a gap and doing a forward roll as he was calling her. By the way, yeah, yeah, he was dive to... rolling from Nerfhead Corners. <laughs> um, but uh. I think that's the only time he appears in this episode, actually, isn't it? He doesn't appear. He doesn't speak or appear again. So it's just this one gag of Masada being like, me and Kaji aren't dating. And Kaji coming on the phone being like, so baby, what's up? (laughs) Yeah, but but what I I like about this is that this is exposition that's Mm -hmm. done quite elegantly, uh, uh, especially compared to most anime, because a lot of anime, like I was watching Attack on Titan recently, Oh my god, their exposition is just horrible in in that show. Uh, like they'll have like a character who does something like, uh, and then another character is like, "Wow, I can't believe he did that thing." Um, in in this specific way, so it's like, "Oh, Aaron escaped this attack and and uh, to create a distraction for Armin to sneak up from behind," and this character goes, "Oh my god, I can't believe Aaron escaped my attack," and Arm was using Armin to make a distraction or whatever so he could sneak up from behind and it, it's just it's it's characters saying the same thing that you've already just seen and they do this all the time in in anime and i wonder if it's because of like a manga adaptation decay kind of thing where maybe in a manga it's harder to tell like the the exact like uh order of operations that events occur and so characters just recap something but then they end up taking that in anime and that's largely what exposition is sort of in anime is just recapping things that you've already just seen that you've just seen two seconds ago but this is an example of exposition of a previous episode where it's like okay we want to just like make sure that the audience knows that masato and kaji are together and and how Asuka's feeling about it, and it just creates this the scene uh, where Asuka would uh, come at Misato like this because you know with it, it's exposition through conflict where they're using conflict as a way to kind of uh, nestle that exposition. It's very natural well, it's really, that Asuka comes in just, and accuses Misato. Yeah. yeah, it's also just really important to establish what all the relationships are at the moment because. Yeah. This episode is really about all these different relationships. It's about how does Asuka feel about Shinji? How does Shinji feel about Asuka, Masato, Rei, Ritsuko? Like, everyone's almost in this episode. Um, all the Yeah, the well, I mean, Asuka also, also, also kind of, like, recaps us on Shinji a little bit, too. Because she accuses Shinji. She's like, um, you just keep saying, you, you're, you're the worst. You just keep saying sorry for everything. And he's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, see? You're nothing but a submissive man-child and whatnot. And she, yeah. <laughs> well that's gonna be really thematically important in this episode too yeah Uh, she she humiliates him which is which is the crux while she's being humiliated because she's that's almost interesting is that there's there's these things tie together thematically and evangelion's really good at this having the opening scene 
kind of tell you what the whole episode is going to be about, who the core players are, and what themes we're going to explore. So it's a, it's a Masato Asuka Shinji story, Ray's in it a little bit, Ritsuko's in it a little bit, but that's primarily where the focus is, is this sort of triangle of Masato Asuka Shinji. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was going to say something... Yeah, and it's about humiliation, and that's what this opening gag with the the can of beer and, and Oscar being naked kind of establishes too, which is what it was about originally too, in the episode two. So what they're calling back. The true inciting incident comes a little later though, where uh, the thing that kind of throws events in disarray, like the the thing that's really unusual that happens, is that Shinji passes a sync test and gets like full marks on that, yeah. and uh, he's surpassed Oscar in sync ratio. Which is or sync ratio, um, in in, in you know, kind means. of like numbers. Uh, <laughs> does it matter that what it means? I don't think it does. No, it, it does. It doesn't. It, it just means that he's connecting with the Ava unit, where the he has more like control more easily, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this fuels his ego, and is generally like the conflict that we're dealing throughout this whole episode is is just ego, um, and that comes into play later with the literal shadow angel that's kind of a union shadow and uh mm-hmm. confronting the ego through the shadow um but yeah misato says the famous line hey you are number one and that, that that's something that i <laughs> always remember about this one. you are number one <laughs> english isn't too bad yeah actually it's pretty good yeah <laughs> yeah she had she had a lot of practice being sailor moon yeah sailor moon and oscar then goes to ray and kind of tries to confide in her with girl talk in the locker room being like can you believe that shinji fuck can't believe that he surpassed him <laughs> and ray doesn't care <laughs> yeah ray, ray doesn't care um and so what do you think like what do you think about this because she because like oscar's trying to confide in ray you know i guess it's kind of like a, a girl talk kind of thing or trying to relate to her <laughs> about this uh <laughs> i think oscar is just venting to anyone who will listen and ray doesn't talk so she's able to just vent at ray non-stop she was sort of expecting <laughs> ray to talk though because ray just kind of gets up and leaves and she's just pissed about that <laughs> she just gets mad about it <laughs> and, yeah it's oscar's like isolation really starts here where like, well, i think oscar's really lonely i think yeah. oscar's a very lonely character i mean um, it really starts in the previous episode doesn't it because like oscar was hoping that kaji would it starts be there the for minute her. she notices and this is the point i was trying to make in our last episode it starts the minute she notices masato and uh and kaji are back together yeah and, and that's, that's like that that crestfallen kind of expression she makes as as like you know kaji breaks free from her arm you know she's clinging to her arm and she just lets go and she walks away and that's that's the beginning of the end for asuka this is kind of like the descent yeah. arc that we're going on and and it gets even worse that you know since just ray one humiliation is, after the other yeah it's like ray is just like basically i don't give a sh- i don't give a a hoot a hoot and nanny about you redheaded girl and she just leaves nanny. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a rat's patootie about just <laughs> a southern Paula Dean. Um, <laughs> I, I was gonna say too the uh, again. I just. Uh, I mean, I guess I just want to talk about those women long for the touch of others more. But <laughs> southern Belial. When uh, the uh, when she notices Kaji's wearing her perfume and she immediately turns on Shinji, who she'd been kind of bonding with throughout that episode, and just immediately turns on him and goes like, I hated kissing you. You're ugly. I hate you. And she walks away. Yeah. 
it's it's, she immediately lashes out it's because you know oscar's and we'll discuss this later in episode 22 but she was abandoned by her parent in a way like kind of like neglected uh i mean she was there like her parent was there but ignoring her and so to be like kind of pushed aside and ignored is what oscar hates the most and that's what yeah. Ray did here, and that's what Kaji did in the previous episodes. Just kind of brush her off, and that's kind of like yeah, Ray. Oh, getting right. to the point. Ray is like the... her mother. I've never yeah. noticed that. I'm sorry. It's like to getting to the point of the psychological wound there. Yeah, exactly. So, Ray is the mother. Yeah, yeah. Ray is Ray is, is her mother. Literally a mother figure in in all respects, not just to Shinji, and is also the doll, right? The doll that gets tied She's in later. Yeah, yeah. So. It really ties. She's into also the... she's the doll. She in this metaphor, she's both her mother's doll and her mother. Yeah, because her mother was there but didn't recognize her, mm-hmm. and she's looking for Ray to kind of connect with her, and yeah, but she won't. And I mean, I guess thinking of it more, Hikari is almost the one who doesn't talk back because Oscar will just tell her things. She'll be like, "Yeah, you're right, Oscar. Yeah, okay, Oscar." If it's not yeah. too much trouble, can you do that? Like, she just bullies like, Hikari, Hikari constantly. Is, Hikari is the doting one who, like, really... Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's um, a little puppet. <laughs> so, so Ray And Ray obviously, is rejecting Asuka here because we're going to get more throughout this episode that Ray has formed a kind of emotional connection to Shinji. Uh, very clearly here, she kind of stands up for him a couple times, and we'll get to that. But the I think that's really interesting. It's like Ray is motivated to ignore Asuka here, um, which is nice. So it, it kind of speaks to something larger that is going on with her character. Uh, something's happening with Ray, guys. She's getting yeah. development. Uh, um, okay, and then for kind of like four minutes in, Shinji's in uh, in the bus, like after being praised and after the scene in the locker room with Asuka and Ray. And he's, he's in the back of this bus and he's kind of like stretching his hand and like opening and closing it, opening and closing it. Common um, motif. Yeah. And it's this common motif and it parallels that bloody hand uh, at the start where like Shinji, he basically was motivated by uh, someone being in danger and helping someone to do, to pilot Eva. But here it's like, he's being motivated by the praise that Misato just gave him. It's like praise is motivating him now. And then there are kids at the front of the bus and they're kind of laughing at him as he's doing this because he goes, yes, or whatever, you know, he's like proud and whatnot. <laughs> and these, these kids at the front look of the bus loser. are just like proud of himself in loser. Japan. Who does he think he is? Go on, sorry. <laughs> and, and suddenly that validation turns to embarrassment and it kind of reveals the, the fragility that Shinji actually has. He's, he's really brittle. His ego is, is just brittle, fragile. It's falling apart in like a lot of ways um it's so easy to shatter shinji and his sense of pride and it's because it just doesn't come from an authentic place you know praise is temporary if you aren't confident in yourself then anything someone's gonna say is just gonna like break you right uh like for example me in the youtube comments section right so it's like oh i'm proud of this video and all the nice comments but then that one person says something mean and suddenly my whole ego is talk about it for three days yeah exactly (laughs) i'm sad i'm staring up at the ceiling i'm going the ceiling isn't familiar (laughs) (laughs) i hate the unfamiliar ceiling even though if it was unfamiliar how can i hate it (laughs) i'm gonna tell that ceiling how i feel (laughs) 
Uh, How can it still be unfamiliar? I've seen it four times. (laughs) And uh, uh, then directly after this kind of scene that, which I would argue is kind of like the first act, um, that's kind of marks the ending of the first act. We get the entry into the second act, which is the entry of Angel Time, Liliel, uh, who um, yes. I guess it's the who? soccer ball angel. Uh, is is that what is that what it translates to? In I, I, I would say zebra. It's the zebra stripe angel. But uh, yeah, Liliel is the angel of uh, shadow or night. The night angel of the night. Yeah. And its name or their name depending on how it identifies, <laughs> is Angel the Maw of God. The Maw of God, interesting. I Which guess that one? kind of makes sense because it or sort of literally consumes Shinji in a, in a way. Uh, and the night aspect yeah. parallels the shadows. They're kind of like an important motif. Yeah. And also, night, a, lo- night a large unknown. part of this episode takes place at night too like most of this episode takes place at night it does actually yeah, yeah. You're right and it's also that the night i mean historically kind of primevally is you know the time of when things are scary because predators come out at night wolves and tigers and things and yeah. uh it's also when you kind of huddle in and you kind of uh cocoon yourself you hide away until the sun rises again Liliel's probably so, my favorite angel up to this point um I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. I but... disagree. Well, no, actually, I don't really disagree. I really like Ursfield, but I also really like Liliel. Liliel is just, like, really interesting in terms of the story function in this episode and uh, kind of, like, what is being tested with the character because it, uh, it it is kind of, as, you know, you said, the Angel of the Night, but it's it's acting as, as sort of the first preview into how angels are going to operate from here on out. Um, like episode mm-hmm. 15 really marks a turning point for Evangelion and episode 16 just like cements that with the the angel structures much more like overtly character uh, driven at this yeah. point where the angels, well, the angels are going to start so to confront. Yeah, they're going to start to confront them psychologically uh, and really like tear them apart um, and uh, emotionally. Except and that's kind of, yeah, especially the, <laughs> the next few ones, like right, building up to Zero L. So it's like, yeah. And then built from there. Harold is the one exception. Ca- for yeah. the ones that are left, there's five left, I think. Uh, yeah, there's five left. And there's five Zero left is... after this one, there's five. Zero's the one exception. He's just like a big muscly guy that like kills things. He's not there's something psychological about him. But but I would I think that th- there is like a psychological component in terms of just like tearing the character apart in some ways, you know, like still. In in a different way, but yes. yeah. Yeah. Um because uh, I think a lot of the last five angels, or the last six, including this one, is really about tearing down what we know and what is comfortable. Yeah, I think that's what they really do. Is so, it's, it stops being about oh, can I fight an angel and can I fight this angel who is challenging me in a way that I'm not accustomed to? Yeah. Um. There's also like it's it's kind of got a similar design to that of Ramiel in some ways, where it's just this weird object floating. Um. There's not really like appendages or a face of any kind or like a tail or oh, anything. Yeah. It's just I was gonna say that there's nothing androgynous about it. There's nothing um and sorry and like androgy in the like andro is <laughs> what I was thinking of. There's nothing human about it. Yeah um this is arms or legs or this is one of the most further furthest um removed from a humanoid type of angel that we've seen since ramiel 
and it's probably the most dangerous also since Romeo. Mm. Like Shinji yep. actually is like close to dying throughout a lot of this episode. This is a very like life or de- death kind of angel in a lot of ways. It's it's so far from removed from the uh the zero point zero 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 one percent uh angels before where they didn't really have a problem killing them actually (laughs) yeah that plan went off without a hitch there was no problem there at all it's like we have we have a zero percent chance of doing this misato and misato's just like yes but we you know what we have each other and we will defeat it and then they do (laughs) and then they did and there was no problem at all this is this is kind of like a very. Maybe Rizuka's state- just really bad at. She's great at science, but she's really bad at math. She's like, oh crap! I forgot to carry seven zeros. It was actually a one hundred percent chance to win. From from here on out, the stakes get much higher. the 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 stakes are more clearly life and death, including Zerol, Right, like char- you know, characters are close to being dead a couple times, and that's yeah. The characters uh, personally, not just the city, not just the day is in danger, in danger yeah. but Asuka, Rei, Shinji, Masato are all in danger of either losing their minds or dying. I guess that's what the, the turning point between episode 15 and onward is that things get personal in general. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, go on? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I, I have something to say later. I'm sorry. I, it'll be more fitting later to talk yeah, about Yeah, yeah. So... Shinji and Rei and Asuka kind of like a go and decide to like um, approach this angel and they take a stealth approach this time, which is kind of in- it's interesting because that's not really something that we've seen the Ava units do up to this point. But they're really, really mm-hmm. weary of this one and they're using a stealth approach that Masato kind of like lays down for them. Um, they're, they're planning, they're strategizing, which is a, a follow up to the day Tokyo 3 stood still where they had to kind of. Uh, come up with the plan themselves, but also uh, follow through on that plan. So it's not just a really simple, straightforward scheme. It's it's like, okay, we're going to... Because they don't know what to expect. They haven't analyzed this angel because they don't know anything about it. Also, Shinji uh, decides to be like a little little bit of a little turd over here. And it's just like, remember Misato? <laughs> it's I a was man's job. I'm, this is a man's job. And, uh, it's a man's job, ladies. You can you can sit down while a real man handles this. And just, like, flexes his, like, non-existent <laughs> bicep. Yeah, um, he's just like, look at these muscles. <laughs> look at this arm. And, and then I lift, so, I cook, I cook eggs one time a day. Um, Shinji's hoping, <laughs> Shinji's hoping that he's going to get some real like praise from doing this and keep that validation yeah. cycle going. And he, he does the same kind of opening closing hand bit uh, from the bu- bus before deciding to break uh, from the plan of doing kind of like a stealth engagement and uh, fully engages in combat here. Kind of like, uh, and is immediately punished for it. <laughs> Shinji gets captured by the angel. There's a shadow that opens up beneath him, and he gets sucked into this alternate shadow dimension. Um, the yeah. which is the real angel. The shadow is actually what the angel is. The, the yeah, the ball is, is like more of the distraction. However, that makes or, any it, sense. But but that it does make kind of sense because it's like there's a true angel and a not true one in some ways which uh Mm -hmm. has to do with the union shadow thing uh in the first place where like Mm -hmm. there's the ego um you know in sort of jung's kind of um description of it there's the ego and then there's the subconscious which is the the true self in some ways like uh and that that kind of like doppelgangerness is something Mm -hmm. that is really important 
uh, thematically. Yeah, here. so it's less its reflection and more just like it's it's stand-in, its face. Yeah, it, there's the true self and the not-true It's also self. about deception, um, and I think this episode is largely about self-deception, and then I think a little bit, and we'll get with, with Ritsuko and Masato, there's a, some actual deception going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, soon after this, Ray gets some development, and kind of like, she decides to push back a little bit on, you know, Masato saying to fall back, and Ray's just like, mm-hmm. no, we gotta save Shinji. Um, and that's... Uh, <laughs> That's, that's kind sweet. of I like that. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like showing that she cares about somebody uh, other than Gendo. So it's kind of like okay, we're opening yeah. up, and uh, she's also thinking a little bit independently and being a little defiant, and that's kind of forwarding her character a bit. Um, and then we get that whole stuff with Misato and Ritsuko and Asuka that you were discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's uh, sorry. Are we at the point after he's been eaten by the angel? Yes, so Shinji's, like, totally yeah. been eaten by the angel, and, like, okay, yeah. so Asuka and Rei managed going, to escape. I think largely what's going on here, character-wise, is uh, Masato, at the end of the last episode, found out that there is an a, a dead or in a coma or unconscious or something, or dormant angel at the heart of Terminal Dogma that she didn't know about. And... Yes. And Kaji basically has told her, he's there, it's there... Because Gen- and Gendo knows it's there, and Ritsuko knows it's there. Ritsuko, who is Masato's best friend, who's been her best friend for like 10 years, and probably is a big part of the reason that Masato is as strong and confident a person as she is, has been lying to her and deceiving her about what's going on. Not only is this a betrayal as a friend, but they work together every day. Um, and Ritsuko's not in charge. Ritsuko is just the scientist. Masato is in charge. I don't know who at ranks... Who actually doesn't that come up in this episode? Doesn't Ritsuko, uh, doesn't Ritsuko, Ritsuko actually to... kind of takes control um, of of the operation? She usurps Masato. So even if Masato yeah, she is higher Masato. ranking, I don't know what Ritsuko's rank Ritsuko is. Ritsuko has what... some. I don't know, but she has some secret. Like she's definitely like in the know about the in the know more than Masato, and definitely higher ranking behind the scenes at least. So. Yeah, she has more um, cachet. I yeah. suppose. I don't know if she has an official rank or not. Um, Ritsuko's rank is. I mean, Masato just lets her do it, so <laughs> there must be. As the techno babble a... scientist, uh, that's her official ranking. Um, techno yeah, well, I mean, even scientist. in like Star Trek and stuff, all the the doctors and scientists all have ranks. They all have actual like they're all lieutenants or captains or something. Um, yeah, like Scotty is the third, the second officer on the Enterprise. Just to show what a nerd I am, but he is. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, and. Uh, so yeah, so that's a lot of what's going on here between uh, Masato and Ritsuko is the, is the sense of betrayal and the sense of deception because Masato is also she's in, chief. She... By the way, she's chief. So I don't. That's not a military rank. I don't know what it, that makes it's, her. Yeah, it, it says it says rank and title chief of Project E, which is Ava, I guess. So I guess that means she outranks <laughs> Masato. I'm not sure. Masato's a major. That's pretty high up. So <laughs> I don't know. But then I don't think Gendo has a military title either. So. Um, military rank either. Uh, I guess I guess Ritsko technically outranks. Uh, isn't he Masada. commander? Commander Akari? Like he's Gendo? commander. Yeah. Okay, yeah, commander would be. I don't know. There's so many different structures too. Like there's the navy, there's the army. I don't know what Nerve is necessarily. So I, okay, I guess Ritsko outranks Masato, but yeah, as she's chief... not the operations. She's not in charge of operations, and Masato is. I guess that's the idea. Yeah, um, she's like okay, so. 
she's like a captain misato's like captain and major and stuff and uh yeah and uh ritsuko is like chief officer of project e and gendo is like a commander yeah yeah so whatever yeah so he's the commander i mean i think that means he's in charge of everything and then fiyutsuki is whatever fiyutsuki is he's professor <laughs> he's the professor fiyutsuki is smithers <laughs> he's ranked smithers yeah i, I um, think fiyutsuki is the second in command i think he's yeah he's in charge after gendo um because he usually takes charge whenever gendo's not there uh yeah yeah and they say yeah whenever fiyutsuki and gendo both leave they go oh masato i guess you're in charge like they say that so uh i think he's like fiyutsuki is a deputy commander by the way so yeah, yeah so he's second in command yeah yeah um yeah anyway that's not really that important but the yeah, military so rank has... eva <laughs> you didn't know you right. cared about it until we talked about you it. you didn't know you cared about it until <laughs> just now yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Ritsuko has the right to overturn whatever Masato is trying to do. Um, but also what I was going to say is Masato is deceiving Ritsuko because she knows that Ritsuko is hiding something, but she's not telling her. She's not confronting her about it. So she's, she is mad at Ritsuko, but she won't tell her. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's conflict going on between them right now, which is kind of sad because I, as we rewatch this, I really love their friendship. It's one of my favorite aspects of the show. <laughs> Yeah, Rosado and Ritsuko have such great chemistry together, and they really are, like, the gal pals that make it work, as opposed to, like, Rei and Asuka, who are, like, the gal pals that jump Asuka into wants a furnace. To be gal pals with Rei, so, I guess. Uh, at first, and then she's like, we're mortal enemies now. <laughs> we're mortal enemies. Rei is no longer you. my a, friend. You're a uh, doll. You're a... <laughs> Rei is no longer my friend. My new friend is nobody. Oscar cries. My new friend is Hikari, but then Hikari leaves, so I don't know. My new friend is the Sony, is the is the Sega, the Sega Saturn The 2. Sega 0. Master System. Yeah. <laughs> um, Whatever the, it is. After this confrontation, Misato and there's like a lot of shadow play that kind of goes on in, in this, like where it's like, okay, you have like Misato and Ritsuko kind of like silhouetted in darkness and, and then uh misato kind of like smacks ritsuko after ritsuko says that shinji is expendable and kind of like uh uh, and then there's this like airplane that flies overhead and it kind of lights up the scene and then we have like the scene to send back into shadow is like ritsuko is just Mm -hmm. like but you're a horrible like mother to him and you're the kind of the reason that he decided to like she says she says to misato this is all your fault yeah you can't keep control of shinji and so yeah it's this is it's like even if shinji's expendable there's kind of like there's the sense that ritsuko still sort of cares and it, it feels bad about it but she's also blaming misato and being like well look girl like i'm gonna be real with you you've been kind of like a terrible terrible mother terrible commander and it's sort of like shaming her and acting as that kind of union shadow whispering in her ear and then kind of walks off into the shadows and this mm-hmm. this episode was directed by kazi uh, tsurumaki that is to say and uh tsurumaki is like ano's underling and he does a lot of shadow play throughout this episode. protege let's come on let's give him a little more credit than that He's uh protege pro- did I say underling? I did. You said um, underling. He's his yeah. goblin slave. <laughs> Tsudamaki is... I would honestly really have a, a ton of respect for Tsudamaki. Like, especially hearing about his work on Eva as, a, like, a whole. Because he, he's one of the people that really challenges Ano. You know, Ano didn't want to include Asuka originally in the rebuilds. And Tsudamaki was like, Asuka is, like, one of the beating hearts of Eva. You can't make an Eva 
remake without Asuka. So Asuka got added because he really pushed for that, for that character. Like he really thinks that she adds like so much to the dynamic. Um, And And, uh, and he's very accomplished. He worked like fully coolly was his baby, wasn't it? Yeah. Fully coolly was his baby. And he also, he also spoke um, like about how, like how like, mari shouldn't have been included and yada yada he's he's like well he challenges (laughs) he challenges ano quite heavily in a lot of ways which uh i really respect him for that and um he's he's also Mm -hmm. done good work on his and her circumstances and and like die buster uh yeah fully coolly i'd love to see a new anime directed by him he was originally wanted to write and direct the final rebuild movie when ano didn't want to and then, uh, like, kind of, Ano kind of pushed him out from that position. But I think it would have been really cool to have seen what he did for that because he's a really talented director. And this episode is is really, really well directed in terms of just, like, the lighting. It's very cinematic. Characters are leaning in and out of shadow. Like, with uh, the scene where Asuka confronts Ray or Ray confronts Asuka, really. Because, like, Ray goes, like, you're just piloting Ava because you want praise, girl. And then Asuka's... that way she she questions her. Yeah, and then know... and then Oscar's like, no, I'm Japanese piloting it well for enough, myself. But... And it's uh, like Oscar can say that she's piloting it for herself all she wants, and I guess in a way she is, but it's still for like the validation well, of being the best at something to be needed, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so... she lords that over Shinji because Shinji wants constantly wants approval from other people, and Oscar very pointedly does, says she doesn't um but she, maybe she doesn't but she absolutely but, does i mean she flaunts herself sexually to people for that reason like she loves the yeah, popularity it, well, it's the loves constant, to be praised. it's the constant push and pull of her character which is you should praise me but i don't care if you do but you should <laughs> like, <and> it's so <laughs> strange um she says she doesn't care what other people think but totally does it's like one of those her ego is so inflated because of of yeah. that of how little her ego actually is in reality like the 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 if if she had a union shadow it would be that she has like absolutely no belief in herself which is <laughs> the true sort of self kind of speaking in that instance um so let's talk a little bit about Union Shadow because I think it's really key to this episode. It's really key to this <laughs> okay. show. Okay, I yeah. don't know anything about Union Shadow. I'll just ask you questions again. Yeah, Go on. What's a, a Union Shadow? Okay, what so is a Union Shadow? A, a Union Shadow is the unconscious I know who self is. that Carl Jung was like. Yes, famous psychologist who kind of came uh, it, during it's, during and after the Freudian era, and really there's he was he was he was a compatriot of freud's his, yes he was his protege if anything i believe it, it it's, it's it's sort of his thinking is sort of one of the pillars of modern psychology in a way uh it has a little bit more research behind it than something like freud uh but it's still kind of like a bit introspective in some ways um but carl jung if is, I can just interject yeah Niles crane on fraser was a jungian psychiatrist but Jungian psychology... That's my contribution to this conversation. Jungian um, psychology is actually more respected than Freudian psychology uh, these days. Yeah, yeah um, the, the gag was Fraser's a Freudian, Niles is a Jungian. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the best joke, just quick, <laughs> the best joke is when Niles takes over his show for an episode and says, well, Fraser is a Jungian, uh, is a Freudian, I am a Jungian, so there'll be no pinning it on mother this week. <laughs> Which is great. Anyway, go on. Sorry. The union shadow is the unconscious self that in, exists inside us. So if we had um, our ego is kind of like the the self that exists on the foreground. And if there is an iceberg, the shadow would be underneath 
uh, us and it's it's there and it it speaks to the heart of us it's it's the voice that says things that are uh kind of critical about ourselves and is the true self in some ways it's the it's the us that is more tr honest about who we are really at our core um and it's not really evil so much as it is revealing which is an important thing about like the union mm. shadow and so uh it's it's the voice inside your head uh, that barely comes out that you don't even know that's there that that sort of says like hey you've been a you've been a very bad boy um and in this case <laughs> shinji's talking to a a doppelganger of himself inside he's trapped in this alternate dimension this Ava, this uh angel dimension this shadow dimension um which is inside the angel and uh he's kind of dying here uh throughout this throughout these scenes and then he gets these visions these like hallucinations of probably liliel probably the angel talking to him but acting in place of uh of his shadow uh and kind of criticizing him and the union shadow like kind of expresses how there are different impressions of shinji inside other people and this is how you get like enemies and friends it's because other people have different ideas about who you are based off of the fragments that they've experienced and encountered with you so if you're like mm -hmm. if you had like a bad day and you let your ugly side out and and kind of were a dick to somebody that person's going to get a totally different impression of you than if you're just like nice to them out of hat and uh are polite and both versions are valid they're both parts of who you are but they have fragments of you they don't have the whole picture and that's mm -hmm. what shinji is kind of afraid of is that that people are going to have a picture of him that is is negative, that is bad, that they'll hate him. Um, and he really wants to be praised and validated because he wants to feel loved, because his father abandoned him and caused these psychological wounds by abandoning him. And so what he really wants is he wants love. Him, really. Yeah, both his parents did at the end of the day. And, um, and Shinji... Uh, he wants that external validation, not because of of necessarily not being noticed, like with Asuka, where Asuka was not noticed by her mother. Um, Shinji Shinji was rejected outright, and think and is like afraid of others hating him because he's afraid of that rejection. He just wants to be told "I love you" and wants to be like allowed into someone's life. Uh, and be there with them and, and that's why he's like so subservient um why he does what other people say because he hopes that it'll it'll make people feel like they they like him or that there will be a version of him inside them that where they'll go like i love you and you're cool and you're awesome um you're great and <laughs> you're number one you are number one and so shinji gets accused by the the shadow uh, that of like nursing the few happy moments of praise that his father has given him like a, a couple episodes back uh, with the angel that, that's you know, one thing I was going to mention actually yeah go ahead go talk about it at the beginning it. I was going to mention this sorry I just remembered yeah so Shinji is in a good spot at the beginning of the episode because his, he's just had this great experience with his father where they spent more than five minutes together without Gendo telling him he was a waste of time <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I'm sorry, it's way too late. Yeah, now, but I thought that was and, funny. Anyway. And, and but Shinji also got praised, you know, a couple episodes earlier with the the angel that was falling with on the intercom, where he's like, "Good job, Shinji," and whatnot. Good so. job, Shinji. Um, Good job, pilot of Unit One, Shinji Akari. <laughs> oh my God! Praise from my father. He sent me a form letter <laughs> on this date. Sorry, go on. 
so Oscar wants to be to be noticed and 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 praised for being the best, but Shinji wants to be praised for being like loved, like to be like he just wants to be told, you know. They both I love want the you. same thing, I'd say. Yeah, in in sort of slightly different ways, but yes, ultimately the same thing. And their approach is different. I think their goal is the same. The goal is the same. The approach, yeah, yeah. And it's to get to the, the, you know, it's the want versus need thing again, where, you know, Shinji wants external validation and he needs internal validation because internal validation lasts longer when you come from a place of like uh, self-love where you're like, I'm confident in, in myself. I, I don't have like anxiety and depression because I've dealt with that and I don't need other people to say, I love you. I can just know that um, and be content with it. And and that's that's like what he really needs and you know it's it's a very important thing in a character arc for a, a character's like want versus need to be opposites from one another and michael can way. you explain to me and remind me what is a want versus need can you use a famous <laughs> film to explain sure. what a want versus need is so in the case of like a want versus need it's like a character's psychological goal it's not necessarily the same thing as like a goal of a second act so like the goal of pretty much every second act episode here in ava is to stop the angel to like to defeat the angel unless but, it's a Satsuko episode then it's the third act yeah <laughs> but but the but the want the psychological want is that praise like so shinji's Shinji's goal is to defeat the angel, but his want is to do it well enough that his father says, I, like, I love you and his praise and stuff. Um, I and love you. So, I was wrong to abandon you at that zoo or wherever he left him. And, and the want versus need is the basis for a character arc. Like, it's it's one of the most, like, fundamental core things in a character arc. So uh, you'll have something like Hamlet, right, whose want is revenge. He wants revenge and his need is forgiveness. And because he doesn't actually get forgiveness or it does forgive his uncle or like even, you know, second guesses, maybe I'm not experiencing a ghost a of my father. Yes, that's what makes it a tragedy because he never acquires the need. He only gets the want. And so if you get the want a lot of the time uh, and you never get the need, that is a tragedy. That's what fundamentally makes something tragic. Uh, and if mm -hmm. you if you have like the want versus need out of alignment, a lot of people feel very unfulfilled by that because it means that they didn't learn something. The point of a want versus need is to uh, be philosophically incorrect at the start of the story, then realize that the philosophy or the the idea that you thought was important was bad, and then like kind of like embrace uh, the opposite of that, which is the good philosophy, the the or the good thing. Um, and uh, you have something like Star Wars, right? Which is the famous film mm -hmm. we were talking about. And Luke's arc is out of alignment because his want versus need in episode four is essentially uh, his want is like to go on an adventure uh, and his need is to believe in himself. And those, you know, that's the thing. It's like, Luke, trust the force, believe in yourself, blah, blah, blah. And, and the film fundamentally isn't really about that and that he doesn't really grow or learn anything philosophically it's not like believing yourself it's not like core conflict yeah it's not like believing in yourself is really like you know a counter to that of adventure you well, can the way have you put it to me earlier was his and... want and need are the same he wants to go on an adventure and be a hero yeah and his need is to go on an adventure to go on an adventure and, be a, and become a and hero become a hero yeah and that's fundamentally what it is and it's like and so you have like that out it's either out of alignment in some ways and that creates 
what a lot of people refer to as like a Gary stew or something. Um, and yeah. it's because they I don't, don't really learn like that term, but I get what you mean. Yeah. But it's because they don't really learn anything and don't grow. And so people kind of like push back against that. And yeah, like Luke wasn't really the reason that people really loved episode four. It was all the other elements coming together, the special effects, Han Solo, uh, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, Princess Leia being cool. And like, it's basically yeah. everything but Luke almost. <laughs> so it's a, almost. Uh, yeah, I, I think Luke wasn't a, strong Bane until shakespearean actor alec guinness go on sorry <laughs> it wasn't until episode five and six that luke started to you know there was a proper writer that came in kasdan yeah. and he really applied lawrence the kasdan. want versus need yeah lawrence kasdan applied want versus need to luke where now it's like luke is afraid of the dark side he wants to destroy it and uh, in, in all facets, like internally, externally, he's afraid to mm -hmm. be like Vader. He's afraid of the implications of that. And, and, and so it's like episode five is almost like a tragedy because he does something dark sided, which is to fight Vader and want to kill him ultimately to save his friends. It was for a good intention, but it was a bad thing. And ultimately like in the world of star Wars, like pacifism wins at the end of the day. Cause like mm -hmm. in episode six, Luke, did he got he the need achieve he, his need until episode six yeah in episode six he finally gets the need which is to reach out and find the light inside the darkness to reject violence to throw down his lightsaber and say like i'm not gonna fight and to redeem his father and his father is the one who is you know already sort of dark-sided in the first place but his father gets a little bit of that light side and winds up like throwing the emperor off the into the shaft so he yeah. wins through not fighting in a weird way and it's kind of it's it's they really did a good job framing that and so his want is to destroy the dark side but his need is to find the light in the darkness to redeem the dark side and that's like that's ultimately what it is and uh his greatest fear is to be like vader but he needs mm -hmm. to accept that he you know vader is a part of him that they are blood that that he is still good he can yeah. be good yeah it's like that's that's what it is. And so... So if effectively, to boil it down, it's his want is to be a hero who destroys evil, and his need is to realize that in order to achieve that, he has to not destroy evil. Yeah. He has to embrace... He has to... The, the, the good, good parts evil. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's like... That want versus need is much stronger because they are opposite, because Luke does learn something. He gets an arc. He becomes compelling... And I think it's a large reason why episode five is so beloved. And I think if not for, you know, episode six, maybe making some weird decisions, uh, I think episode mm -hmm. six has a really strong conclusion for Luke as a character. It's very, you know, Kasdan really brought it home there for his arc. So, um, In terms of the script, yeah. yes. And, uh, and, and here in Ava, there's a really good understanding of want versus need, whether intentional or not. You know, sometimes people yeah. tap into that like subconsciously because they have experienced storytelling or just know it. Well, um, it, it but it's a prism with which to interpret a story. It's not necessarily the only prism. It's not necessarily the right prism, but it's a really strong prism. And especially if you're a beginner writer, it's just something really good to be aware of and to look at. Because yeah, if you're if writing you're... your first screenplay or your first story, it's just something to be like, there should be some core conflict with my character. How do I do that? We'll give them a want and then give them a need that they need to achieve. 
Yeah, and it's like that's and it's it's not necessarily yeah as you're saying it's not necessarily the only way to interpret stories for but it is a really compelling one and at least for me personally the stories that have connected with me have all really mm -hmm. had that to some degree or another like you know fma03 with edward um like he wants to escape from responsibility and he needs to embrace like the fact that a lot of the stuff he's done and messed up in his life are just forever ruined and messed up. And that's like mm -hmm. partly why Edward's such a compelling character is because he's, he touts this equivalent exchange stuff when it's so the want need is so straightforward. Yeah. He, yeah. It's like, it, he, he wants things to be fair. He but wants he things needs... to be fair and he needs to realize the world is unfair. Yes. So, yeah. and that's, and that's so simple of... and it's so easy to <laughs> identify. Yeah. Like, and... Exactly. It's such a, and yeah. and it's just so compelling when I see shows like that, right? So two thousand three um, specifically, by the way. I don't think that's his arc in Brotherhood. No, in, in, in Brotherhood, <laughs> he 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 doesn't have very much of one. Uh, but they're going for something <laughs> a little different there. With and so um, you should make a it, video about the comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, this, um. Uh, but back to Ava, you know, this whole sequence with Shinji tripping out in this angel dimension mm -hmm. is the foundation for all the trip out stuff that we're going to see from here on out. Um, yes, it's the beginning. And we see these images recur over and over again. One thing I did want to say before we move on quickly yeah. is uh, I think the want and need character internal conflict is really good in what a lot of stories are in the modern world in terms of like blockbuster film and animation and stuff is character driven they're all very character driven first off and they're all very iconography i don't know how to say that. i don't know how to put this word or how to parse it but they're very icon based whereas i think in like the olden times in like the 80s and 70s you'd have more movies that are like like Susan Cain's a terrible example, but <laughs> that's not the one I was thinking of, where you almost have the story, uh, like stories used to not only be based on a single character and watching that character go through a journey, but it'll be like, oh, here's a story about this time period and how things changed in the world and all these different like ensemble piece kind of things where I don't think you get the want need quite as strongly because you have more of an ensemble storytelling going on and the conclusion is more thematic or it's more about um, explaining what a time period was or what a moral was or giving your story like an ethos. Yeah. The, there's like, there's a rather movie than called a pathos. There's a movie One called like path pathological. I think go on, sir. There's a movie called like um, the long day closes. That's sort of like that where it's just this, a pastiche of the director's childhood in a lot of ways. It's a mm -hmm. very compelling movie. I think it's still like fairly character heavy, but it's more about just like capturing a time, capturing a yeah. place, capturing a person at this moment. And like films and story can be beyond just like a character driven thing. But yeah, as, as far as like, mm -hmm. just like character focused, like very, very like, you know, genre. Yeah. Like yeah. genre sort of stuff. It's a really good basis for it. So yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And, uh, and then we get like, uh, Yui coming out to save our boy Shinji over our here. Our first appearance by Yui, I think. Yes, I would say so. Um, we, I, I think this is the first time we hear her voice, and it's a. Uh, Which they Hayabashi. messed up in the dub, the original dub. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Ray's voice actor in Japanese who is playing um who is playing Yui. Um, yeah, but it's not Amanda Winley in the original dub. It's not until EOE, and then I think at EOE, uh, Yui was played by both Amanda Winley. And, uh, yeah, they, and yeah, Ray, they played Yui both and Ray, Yui and Ray. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And uh, Yui saves Shinji here, takes over the unit, and kind of like, um, it's very much her. <laughs> There's no misinterpreting it. Yeah. Uh, it. Kind of takes over the unit, goes berserk. We see the reason why it's able to go berserk and why it has an interest in defending Shinji in his worst times of need. It's because it's his mother's soul inside, which ties into plot elements that are revealed later. It'll pretty much say outright, yeah, your mommy is inside the Ava unit. Uh, right now, we're not supposed to know that totally. If you're watching it for the first time, you're supposed to go like, "Hawa." <laughs> so, yeah, I don't even think the thought um, crosses your mind because you think it's a robot. And if you don't, yeah. if if you live in a world before Evangelion, there's no stories about like people and robots really <laughs> necessarily. And the Ava bursts out of Liliel um, in the sort of nightmare dimension that Shinji's been trapped out of, and it's very gory and bloody and and like horrifying it's supposed to be horrific mm -hmm. and the av unit screams and it's very like it's 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 the first time since maybe episode two that we've seen the av unit be treated as like a monster an animal like yeah exactly an out of control monster yeah. and it's and it's that union shadow of the ava right it's the true self of the ava so that's i think that's interesting yeah. um and uh then after that we get some ray chilling in the hospital with shinji reading her books watching over him uh and she expresses that she uh is glad that he's okay which is pretty cool for a character which is a big step in yeah. their relationship yep um which will make it sad when things happen later <laughs> <laughs> and uh oscar's was listening at the door because when ray leaves uh oscar Asuka cares like, about shinji but she can't go into the room or she can't go into the room to tell her tell him she cares but yeah. she wants to know he's okay which is really cool. Good job. Good job, Anno and whoever wrote this episode. I forget your name. <laughs> it, <laughs> nice it, it humanizes her more again, which is always good to see, you know. like it's a, Yeah, it's nice. She has such a negative reputation with the fandom. It's nice when she gets these little moments of humanity. <laughs> I, I think that's what I appreciate about her character and the character writing of this. And um, there was there's this technique in writing when with my screenwriting teachers where they told us, like, if you have a villain... Give them a, a part where the, you just get a glimpse into the the their humanity, like that they regret something or that there's some deeper mm -hmm. level or they do something nice for someone unexpectedly. Or show them rejecting human their own humanity. Yeah. Which why they're a villain. It's like, it's just give us a glimpse into even the worst people that there is something deeper ticking underneath uh, and whatnot. Because yeah. that really adds layers. And Ava does that with characters that you know are quote-unquote unlikable and i think that's what makes them likable is seeing those glimpses into like a character like asuka that she actually does kind of care about shinji uh that a lot of it is an act that there's a true self underneath that there is um there's someone more compassionate there so and asuka is one of my favorite characters in pretty much anything i so. love asuka <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you know distilling her down we into stan just like Asuka a, in this podcast so <laughs> saying saying she's just a bitch is just like oversimplifying things like way too much you know <laughs> i mean she is a she um, is a bitch but there's reasons she's a bitch <laughs> I, I she's a complex one she's multifaceted multi-layered um, well, i think it's also pretty hard to like look at a 14 year old girl and be like oh she's really full of herself or oh she's really negative or she's really mean i'm like yeah she's a 14 year old girl she will learn she will change you're you're an adult <laughs> you've had experience she's, she has it who's proud of who they were when they were 14 unless you were like a goody two-shoes who didn't 
try anyway. <laughs> Oscar's like an onion. Uh, she'll make you cry, she's like but she's onion. got layers. <laughs> so, got layers. Yeah. And then we get a mention of and blood. And she smells at the end. bad. No, I'm just kidding. We, we uh. get a smelling bad. Speaking of smelling bad, uh, Shinji says that he smells blood on himself at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Which I don't know. What do you interpret with that? Because I don't really know. Like, is it I, motherhood? I guess the idea is, is it... the the Evan, the Evas are physical beings with blood in them. I think that's foreshadowing right. that. That's my yeah. first thought. I think it means a bunch of things, but I think that's the main thing. Yeah, when he was inside the unit earlier, he said it smelled like blood in there, and so maybe it's just, like, uh, pointing to the organicness. Maybe it's pointing to, like, a menstrual kind of, like, motherhood thing. So it could be any of that, you know. <laughs> I, I, I said it. Um. I said it. <laughs> there's there's Freudian elements in Ava. It's not just Freud. I think people oversell, like, how much Freud there is. Like, a lot I, of it is... Kidding, but... No, no, no. I just want to speak on this real quick. Like, a lot of this... Yeah. A lot of Ava is, is like about Anno's personal like very personal journey through depression and like it's a very it's very simple like philosophically at the end of the day which is like just like self-love is important um and and I I think it's I think people oversell maybe how like oh you have to read um psychoanalytical it is psycho yeah like how how much like psycho psychoanalysis and you know, even I interp- did a video years ago interpreting it as, from a psychoanalytic perspective. Um, but in that video, I kind of actually said that Ava criticizes some things about psychoanalysis. <laughs> so yeah. it's not just like, oh, because I see way too many people, maybe you've seen this too, just go like, oh yeah, Shinji wants to screw Ray, And so it's like, it's about the Oedipus complex. And I think I think Oedipus complex is a motif used throughout Ava, but it's not necessarily like approving of it. It's not a core focus. It's not like, you know, it's it's just it's something that is there as a as a thematic way to tie in Ray with with Yui as like a character. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, know. absolutely. Um, what are your thoughts on this episode? Uh, overall, uh, uh, yeah, it's a good episode. I think we kind of skipped over a scene that I really like, which is um, almost the button for the Masato Ritsko stuff. Yeah, go ahead and Ritsuko's talk about talking it. To, yeah, talking to Gendo at the end. With uh, their wash, first off, they're washing the blood or the the, the menstrual fluid or whatever the hell it is. The, the washing machine of life. <laughs> the washing machine of life. God damn it! <laughs> they're washing off it, and they're standing there staring at it. For some reason, there's a lot of really in-depth, introspective conversations that have with people watching them wash the evangelion. There's at least two that I can think of. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so Ritsko's talking about how like they'll never forgive us if they find out the truth of the Avas. I think this is the first time Ritsko and Gendo are alone in a scene. Um, yes. And they've identified them as collaborators who have a secret. And yeah, so <laughs> that's a cool scene. I think it kind of buttons the, the conflict between uh, Masato and Ritsko earlier, where I think now we're seeing Ritsko's side of things, because Ritsko is such a guarded character and we don't really get into her head. And uh, how Masato almost kind of got through to her. Because they are good friends. And it's it's just interesting. One other thing I wanted to say. Just remembered. I want to talk about the psychoanalytical aspect. I think a lot of people look at Evangelion intellectually. But I think it's a very emotional, pathological show too. And I think a lot of the stuff 
people get very judgy and intellectually judgy about these 14-year-old kids that are in really difficult situations and don't really have parents to look out for them or care about them or tell them anything worthwhile. Yeah, it's crazy how much people project, like, adult expectations on the characters like, from a meta sense. Like, like, why does this 14-year-old boy not want to bang his, like, 28-year-old mother figure? Come on, man. It's <laughs> so, two sexy ladies. <laughs> it's it's kind of gross. It's, it's like some... It is a little gross. <laughs> it's a lot like, gross, actually. The, the, the way that the fandom, like talks about these characters is is just extremely i don't see it so much anymore to be fair sorry i just wanted to mention that i think i see it plenty but um you know it it is really inappropriate it was especially inappropriate 10 years ago 10 years ago it was like everywhere you know everyone was talking about sexualizing oscar and ray and kind of like uh you know the the shipping wars the love triangle shipping wars and and uh they need uh, to know who they're gonna get married to when they're fourteen, okay? Shinji <laughs> is a pussy. Not allowed to date. Shinji's a pussy. Shinji's a pussy. Shinji's a pussy. Shinji's fucking cool. Like he's a character that <laughs> he's a badass. He, he he he's a character that puts aside a lot of his own issues to still do the right thing at the end of the day. And I think there's there's something really admirable about that. Um, you know, episode nineteen. How can you watch episode nineteen and go like Shinji isn't cool? Because that's like he's really cool there <laughs> so. that's such a good episode i mean oh oh i love 19 Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. and love him it. even leaving in the first place is cool like you know like that's the thing we'll talk about it when we talk about it but yeah, we'll you know he's he, he was he was standing up to his father for his friend and i think that's really cool but yeah um oh yeah they end the episode with that the hospital scene that's really nice they show the bond between the three characters and shinji kind of i think he smiles and laughs at the end doesn't he yeah. Well, he's yeah, he smiles and laughs so cool. after after Oscar. After all like, this uh, trauma, he's still he's still got a smile on his face. That's nice because he realizes yeah. that people were worried about him and they missed him, and he's like, "Oh my god, someone missed yeah. me." Yeah, cool. and I think he I think he realized that you know his ego was a little bit too big and inflated too, especially you know after um he gets kind of sucked in by the angel, he's screaming for help. He's like, "Please help!" And I think he kind of regrets that. Uh, he was so foolhardy in the first place so you get a little nice yeah a nice got, little we do have, character arc mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just glad that back. other people are here you know it, he's just glad other people are here other people yeah. hell is other people but they're here uh yeah we're gonna get into sartre too okay anyway <laughs> there's also the first sign i think of that water reflection in this episode yeah the, <laughs> totally. the yeah. bloop which the is bloop the bloop water the bloop which represents yui um <laughs> yeah yeah anyway that's cool uh i don't know okay do i have anything else to add uh water is motherhood that's a freudian thing water symbolizes motherhood but yeah the ocean is a woman the moon is a woman and the ocean's a woman so actually no is the ocean a man because then it's the ocean and the moon am i getting into weird anyway well water (laughs) water in freudian sense is is motherhood which i guess is not a coincidence so (laughs) anyway the moon represents Ray. It represents Yui, and the moon is female. I think I said that already. Actually, I have a the vague moon, recollection. The moon I think controls the moon water, so it does. And yeah. in in I think in Eastern theology, it the the bound the the relate. Is this just Avatar? I might just be thinking of Avatar, where the moon and the ocean reflect re- represent push and pull. Tweet and law, yeah, yang, yeah. <laughs> anyway thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode and you really want to support us and you want to hear more 
um, then subscribe to our Patreon. Pledge on Patreon. I'd really appreciate it. It'd be great. Yeah, you'll get bonus episodes um, of us talking about all sorts of yeah. uh, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, bonus episodes this week. Uh, I guess this week we're going to be talking about Better Call Saul because we're going to do episode reviews for the weekly Better Call Saul episodes. Heckin' yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. I've enjoyed Better Call Saul a lot. I think uh, it's I'm going to really put up good. a poll. To see if people are enjoying the bi-weekly releases or if they'd like to see weekly releases. Uh, that'll be a public poll. It'll be available on Patreon. You don't have to pledge. Uh, so, yeah. So check that out. Anything else? Uh, Michael wrote a comic. Uh. So, uh, so, well, I don't want people to know about that. <laughs> okay. <Not really. laughs> Michael didn't write a comic. It never happened. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And, but if you're listening uh, yeah. this far, you're probably cool enough that you'd be okay with <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Michael never wrote a comic. It didn't happen. It was an illusion. <laughs> we got gotcha. you. It's a total fabrication. <laughs> anyway, I'm done. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> Thanks for listening so much. I really appreciate it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>